Hey guys, and welcome to the Bare Naked Health Podcast, where I interview the absolute best health and wellness practitioners from across the globe to show you what they do so you can do it too. This is because, like you, I did not always feel that health was easy. I had tried different diets, exercise plans, but often felt misled by an industry that really thrives on you not getting healthy and always spending money on the next new thing. Because of this, I'm getting bare naked on health and pulling back the curtain to show you that being truly healthy is simple. Wherever you are in your health journey, I want to show you that with minimal effort, you can get maximum results and do what you love. Play with your kids, go for a hike, and crush it in your business all while feeling great. To give a kickstart, I encourage you to go over to BarenakedHealthPodcast.com to access my calendar and schedule a 15-minute call so we can discuss what is your biggest struggle when it comes to maintaining your health. Remember that I'm a holistic lifestyle coach and that the show is really sponsored by you guys. Each of you that works with me that I am able to take on as a client helps me to be able to keep putting out these podcasts for free. So I just want to thank you, each of you, for your love and support. Hey guys, I'm your host, Nick Horowski, and welcome to the Bare Naked Health Podcast, episode number 84. In today's episode, I interview physical therapist and world-class master in pain-free training, Dr. John Russin. Be sure to stick around for the end of the show to hear John's personal mastermind, the importance of the mental game for training, as well as our discussions of multiple reps of a 1,001-pound deadlift. Welcome back, guys, to another episode of the Bare Naked Health Podcast, and always love having a fellow physical therapist on the line, Dr. John Russin. Uh, I was making sure I got the name pronounced correctly here. John, first question I ask everybody who comes on the show is, tell us about your health journey in 10 sentences or less. (laughs) Well, I'll start my health journey in saying that I don't necessarily view myself as a physical therapist, so like the intro is awesome, but I've worked (laughs) over the last 10 years of my career to really try to change uh, what people view our services and our programs as. And it's not physical therapy. It's not strength training. We call it the hybrid performance model. And that's something that it's a holistic outlook on human performance. So something we've been doing, going stronghold for, you know, probably about seven years with that model now. And that's our big mission. And that's, that's awesome to hear because uh, especially being a PT, it's like, okay, if you're in the clinic, what do you see? You see five, 10 different exercises. They're the absolute lowest level possible that really should not get a human moving the way that they need to. So where did that kind of start? Like, where did you start with that pivot? And what did that look like uh, going forward from there? Well, it's funny because I was a strength coach before I was a PT. Uh, Many people go the opposite route. You know, they go through a doctorate level education, then they go, hey, you know, I want to work with some athletes. And then they go in and get some personal training certifications or strength and conditioning certifications. I was the opposite way around. So I was in the gym, uh, trained my first client at the age of 19. And I was actually a division one strength coach before I ever went to grad school, which was cool because it kind of set my foundations of what I did. But uh, after my residency, residency period uh, in sports med orthopedics, I ended up taking my first job as a trainer and a PT at the same spot. And I ended up kind of seeing the same people 
with two different systems. I was like, well, this is fucking stupid because I'm seeing the same people for two different services. Why isn't it just one? And, you know, within about six months, I was really transitioning my programs to be obviously like the cool manual based stuff that really gets people reset and moving better. But a, a big focus of my programming was on foundational movement pattern development and then really just traditional strength and conditioning work that was just a little bit smarter because we had the evaluation process that was done. We had the uh, assessments and intakes that was done through a clinical-based setting. And I thought I had something there, so we just rolled with it from there. And that's developed, obviously, into a lot of other things. Like, the the was it the functional hypertrophy training and, like, the bulletproof muscle, like, two of the programs I saw that you have? Uh, and that's where – that looks like that takes that form of, okay – able to scale that from just okay every day kind of every person should be able to do all these things and really ramp it up for them yeah uh it took us took us a long time to come out with any programs that we're comfortable selling especially uh you know single sale programs which can be tough because you know if you're a practitioner if you're a, a strength coach who really deep dives into individualistic programming it's one of the toughest things that you could possibly do is put out a program and expect to get world-class results out of thousands of people doing the same program. <laughs> but <laughs> so finally, I got the confidence up and we did alpha tests, we did beta tests, and we tested the shit out of this thing. And we ended up um, January 1st of last year launching uh, the Functional Hypertrophy Training Systems. And it's a 12 and 24 week training program that has like a clinical flair on the detail that we put into the program, but it's also pretty hardcore. I mean, we're going through the big lifts, we're hitting the big three power lifts, uh, we're doing metabolic conditioning, and really everything in between. So it's a very eclectic look at human performance, and with the big keynote being injury prevention, which I think is one of the biggest factors in our fitness industry right now. What do you see, maybe being that limiting factor, like? What are people missing when it comes to that injury prevention? Well, I think the mindset has to be right when you hop into any type of fitness or performance program. Uh, I have this conversation all the time with, uh, with some of my colleagues that our number one job is to keep somebody healthy. And that's so unsexy to say. It's like, no, no, we want to gain muscle. We want to burn fat. We want to get devastatingly strong. But the way that we do that is not in the short term. It's a long-term game. And if we can stay in the game for 20, 30, 40 years, then we are going to be so resilient against injury and we're going to have all of those results that we are talking about too. And it's not like you know FHC is not going to get you jacked and ripped in 12 weeks. It will. But it's about creating sustainable habits. It's about creating foundational movement patterns that you can actually you know, build upon to get long-term results with what we're doing. And it's funny because a lot of the people that are doing FHT, they are fellow practitioners, they're fellow strength coaches, and they're in the fitness industry. And I think they gain a great appreciation for that because they say the same thing. They see people on a day-to-day -day come through uh, their gyms and their clinics just looking for quick fixes. And when somebody's laying out a program that's not about the quick fix, I think it's, uh, it's something that people gravitate towards because that's the way that we all know works, but it's many times just not executed in the right way. And that's something that really is just unfortunate because especially with some of my older clients, like 60, 70, 80 years old, and they're like, okay, well, yeah, I, I want to be better. Like, what's this going to take a month? I'm like, 
You've been falling into these postures for the last however old you are. It's not going to just happen like that miraculously. Uh, so yeah, that can that can get a little hairy, I guess, sometimes. Yeah, the best thing you could possibly do as a practitioner or as a coach, though, within the first three sessions, if you can make some market impact on the way somebody feels from like a pain alleviation standpoint or their functional capacity, literally doing something that they never thought in a million years they could do, the buy-in factor there for long-term sustainability for your coaching and your services, that's going to be huge. But it's hard, you know, <laughs> a lot of our people, they come in and it's like they're uh, they're chartering territories of the unknown and we need to give them something for that initial buy-in factor without that it's very hard you know we change is hard change is a bitch and we need to be facilitating change in the best way possible and i think the best way to do that is not only by educating the people that you're working with but actually showing them results as quickly as possible i love how you said i mean because so uh, being a PT again, like I, I agree with you that buy-in is absolutely critical. And I think that goes, that's not just PT. That's anybody who's trying to help somebody out in essence. Yeah. But the pain relief, yes, I've always thought about it a lot from that standpoint. But the functional capacity, that just kind of like made me reach. Like I, I, I like thinking about that now because, yes, I, I try and get people to do things. But I guess I never thought of that as in that initial buy-in like that's down the road but yeah there's no reason you can't kind of get somebody whatever it is that they never thought they were going to even be able to do in in a week in two weeks like and they're going to be sold once you can get that that's really awesome thank you yeah no doubt i mean i am one for trying to challenge the status quo so my (laughs) i hate when somebody goes you can't do something (laughs) fuck you i can do whatever i need to do if i do it intelligently and I put time and energy and emphasis in working with the right people to get me there. You know, oh, uh, your shin runs when you hurt or your, uh, your shin hurts when you run. Don't run anymore. That's, that's a BS answer. We need to find a better way to run. We need to improve capacities. And then we can work on some of the big uh, underlying dysfunctional factors. But I think there's always a way. You know, where there's a will, there's a way, especially in rehab and training. And many times, uh, you know, the burnout factor happens before we ever achieve those results. So I think trying to get something where there's a mental spark into the buy-in, that sets you up for success for life. John, we're talking about like, as you said, change is a bitch. Like it can be really hard to do. What is, what is the biggest change you've made recently to Uh, your health, whether it be, again, on the movement side of things or just in general. And how did, how, how was that for you really? Uh, My daily practices have been pretty consistent. I'd say for the last three years or so, Um, my wife and I train together. Uh, We're training partners, we're business partners and life partners. So we spend a lot of time together, but it's funny because we, we, uh, we train on the same system. We use a FHT style system to train, but our nutrition is totally different. Um, she responds totally different than I respond. Um, you know, I am somebody who always wants to be bigger, stronger, faster. That's what keeps me driving in the gym. But something that I've not let go by any means, but something that I have not put an emphasis on, I'd say like the last 18 months has been really hardcore conditioning. And, um, you know, it's something that maybe the last six months I said, 
I need to start doing a little bit more of this because I think it's starting to affect the way that I'm recovering between really heavy training bouts and sets. And I love to be an athlete too. So working back in more sprints, uh, more just hardcore uh, conditioning on the aerodyne, stuff like that. Um, that's been the biggest change in the last six months. And that's cool because things like metabolic capacity, you can really see a big difference within like a couple weeks. When you look at uh, developing muscle mass, you know, even the best guys in the world that are enhanced, you're looking at maybe like five to six weeks to see a notable difference in, uh, you know, the actual muscle. But when you're talking about metabolic capacity, you can develop that within 10 to 14 days and really feel a difference. And once you have that base, you know, then, then you can really work upon it. So that's been something that I have been working personally on, but I've also, uh, you know, been alpha testing it for some of the new programs as well in terms of uh, fat loss and just enhanced orthopedic health on top of everything because, you know, conditioning is hard because people cannot turn the off switch. They go, okay, I'm here to just kill myself. And they do that and they do too much and they end up, uh, you know, pigeonholing themselves for, you know, the big long-term goals, which are maintaining muscle mass, maintaining your functional strength and movement capacity. And cardio and conditioning can be very addictive because you get that instantaneous feedback of having sweat, having your head in the garbage can, feeling like you're going to throw up. You know, that's, <laughs> that's an amazing feeling for people, but uh, sometimes too much is too much. And dialing it back and just trying to get uh, to the point where you know exactly what you can recover from and more so enhance, uh, you know, the big major components of your movement practice with it as opposed to, you know, pigeonholing yourself, like I said. You talk about uh, a couple times in here, like the recovery between sets, just recovery workout to workout. What are some of just your favorite things to do as far as recovery goes? We, we work on a system. I've actually presented uh, the last year or so on this uh, systemic recovery system that is, again, it's not sexy stuff, but uh, the way that the, the techniques synergize together make it a very, very powerful thing. Um, I like the quote that there is truly no overtraining. There's just under recovering. And I'm a really big believer in that because in our society today, nobody's recovering. Everyone's an addict on the phone and the computers. Nobody's sleeping with good quality anymore. You know, nutrition, even if, uh, you know, you're locked in for 80%, you know, that other 20% of just uh, things that you're doing on a daily basis is going to kind of kill you as well. But we always look at recovery um, from three holistic factors first before we get into any programming. We look at sleep, we look at nutrition, and we look at stress. <laughs> and those are three uh, components of physicality that people do not want to necessarily look at. So it's hard conversations that we have with our clients, but you cannot out fake those. You know, you have to be sleeping, <laughs> you have to be eating properly. And if you're just like a ball of stress, um, training may actually take away from the goals that you're looking to achieve. So those are the three big things. Once we kind of have those, those are like the low-hanging fruit. We try to get those improved. Even if it's a little bit of improvement, that's big. You know, we sleep 45 more minutes, an hour per night. That's big. But then from there, we look at, um, obviously, the, the training capacity that somebody has, really just trying to fine-tune their programming. But then when they have all that stuff figured out, we put on these, uh, these sympathetic uh, secondary workouts, or I should say parasympathetic, and they consist of uh, global foam rolling techniques or soft tissue work uh, in conjunction with uh, something called 
biphasic stretching, which is dynamic oscillatory stretching in combination with um, some longer duration static stretch holds. And then we work on low intensity steady state cardio in conjunction with um, some diaphragmatic breathing practices. So, <laughs> you know, it's nothing new, but it's just that the detail that we go down uh, these four different components of recovery with that, you know, it doesn't take a $1,400 machine on your legs that pumps out the, the lymphatic drainage for you. It doesn't take all this fancy stuff. It's just things that if you do on a daily basis, things like, you know, doing 10 to 15 minutes of soft tissue work plus biphasic stretching, then go take your dogs for a walk. Your recovery is going to be on point. And then when you master that, then we can do some cool stuff that we've been experimenting with as well. Yeah. And what you just said there is just some of that soft tissue work, some of the stretching. People need to understand if you're sitting for eight hours every single day in the same spot, like you're just, everything's literally freezing into that position and right. you have to get it moving. You have to get it pumping. And that's where you said it's, this is not, it have to be a crazy sympathetic workout. This is parasympathetic. This is rest and digest. And it's just getting that body to move, to open up. And that's what I'm with you. I love doing that, especially right before I go to bed. Uh, that was some Tai Chi, like just calms me down and I'm passing right out for sure. Yeah. You said a, cu a couple of really good things there. You mentioned pumping, right? Um, people laugh at me when I say, what's the best recovery system? It's walking. Walking is one yes. of the single best <laughs> things that you could possibly do for sy systemic and localized recovery. Um, just because the reciprocal nature of the gait pattern, you know, we can turn off some highly tonic muscles that lead to chronic aches and pains throughout the upper, lower extremities and core segmentation. And we can also, you know, tap into something called the active muscle pump. So actually pumping out that lymphatic fluid that accumulates down into the legs after training bouts. Um, this is easy stuff, but it's something that not a whole lot of people do anymore. And just from a systemic health standpoint, uh, the power of walking for 10 plus minutes at a time. Um, <laughs> I mean, there's laundry lists of studies on this stuff, and we still don't really have it in our society yet. Unless, you know, you live downtown or something where you're, you are walking without a car. But if you look at uh, cultures like Europe, there's a reason why their systemic health may be a bit better than ours right now. And it's largely having to do with uh, just a daily, you know, the lack of daily sedentarism. So I think that plays a huge role in not only recovery, but just general health and wellness. And that's where I tell people too. And here's the other benefit. If, you, if you're doing it and you go outside, well, now you've just connected with nature. Even if you're talking like downtown, I don't care. You're still always going to be better off whatever it is outside going on, even if it's in the middle of traffic, then just being stuck in your office, in a cubicle, in whatever it is, just get that outside air. And that still is going to go leaps and bounds uh, for your recovery and just breathing all of this pumping again. Now, you look at the mental outlook of recovery, too. Um, we were talking about stress before, you know, being outside, breathing air, having sunshine on your face. Those are all, you know, very undervalued things uh, for recovery and just general health again. So, John, what is maybe the area that you're just kind of geeking out on right now? Is there anything that you're just really diving into uh, studying, whether it be uh, your own body, your own programs or just other things in the research that you've uh, discovered recently? I'm pretty narrow-minded. I hate to say that, but our, our number one mission is trying to put together the most effective training programs possible 
and you know really just prevent injuries for the long term so everything that i do everything that i read <laughs> every conversation that i have is really centered around injury prevention but also just getting world class results with uh training and treatment programs so there's not a whole lot of people talking about that right now i think I think people are more caught up in the sexiness of some of um, you know the highly advanced training methodologies as opposed to mastering the basics and just solidifying the basics and making tiny strategic changes on the basis of actual just foundational patterns of exercise science and physiology. But you know, synergizing the two things together, you know, rehab and training. Um, it's a powerful thing because not a whole lot of people are doing it. I had a I had a client ask me the other day. They're like, "Oh yeah, you know, I read all your stuff. Like nobody cares. Like when they come and see you in person, they don't care that you've written a gazillion articles everywhere and go speak <laughs> all over the world. They just care that you know you're you're working with them in person there. So they're like, "Oh yeah, you know, I happen to read some of your articles. Like really good stuff. Oh thanks. <laughs> and then you know, who else is like you? You know, who else is doing kind of like the the rehab but hardcore training? And I had like three names for them. I'm like, holy shit, like really nobody is doing this. And I think the reason that nobody is focusing in on things like injury prevention while trying to get a world-class training effect is because it is inherently hard to do. Um, Not a whole lot of people have the background to try to tackle this thing. And there's a lot of of resistance. It's an uphill battle uh, because you're really going against the status quo in both fitness and in therapy. So <laughs> it's like you're, you're uh, going against two different things at once. But, you know, after doing this for years and years and years, I, I truly believe in a system that takes care of the person first and really just leaves, um, you know, the old school dogmatic systems behind and really just gives somebody what they need and has just a more intelligent outlook on things because, we're, we're trying to make results for the short term, obviously, but we're trying to create patterns that will work for us for the long term. And I'm happy if somebody doesn't have to work with me anymore because I've educated them to the level that they can be self-sufficient. Or somebody goes through my programs and they learn so much, like more than a continuing education course because they actually felt what it is to uh, you know, have a pain-free training effect. You know, Blast your muscles and spare your joints. If I can teach somebody how to do that, like, cool, man, go off and be self-sufficient and go program your own stuff because I gave you the tools to, you know, be your own, be your own coach. Um, and that's another thing that not a lot of people are doing because in rehab now, it's like, oh, no, we want people to come in for 30 sessions. We want to we have a client that comes in for fitness programs and work with us for 10 years straight. I don't necessarily want that. Um, I think that the good in our industry is by teaching as opposed to making people dependent on the system. And I, I could not agree more because if you can just help more people and help them get independent, you know what? They're going to talk to more people. They're going. People are going to see what they got out of that. And But just as far as what you said with the teaching, if somebody relies on me forever... I'm not doing my job right. Right. Just flat out. There's no way. I have not taught them anything. I've only laid this out exactly to a T and they've followed that, but they haven't been able to actually learn from me. And that's something that is unfortunate, but you're right. A lot of times you're going to see, all right, no, we got to see you three months, six months, six years, 10 years, whatever it is. And it just doesn't work. 
It's hard because, yes, we all need to get paid doing what we do for a profession. You know, that's kind of like the definition of having a job. But we have to look at it for the greater outlook of not only our industry, but our society. And I, I get frustrated because I, I hear crap every day like every other practitioner does. It's just bad information being spewed out there from our system. And you go through and you, you educate your person, say, no, this isn't actually correct. This is what we can do X, Y, and Z. We can continue on with this. But that power is spending an hour with a person, educating one person on it. And when I figured out that maybe I could have a voice that could get out there to you know, millions of people a day in some of the articles that I write and you know, some of the seminars that I do, that was a powerful thing because all of a sudden, your reach is monstrous out there and you're really empowering a lot of people that have uh, power over their constituents. So the people that come in and see them you know, then you just get this trickle down effect. That's really, really cool thing. So that's, that's a big reason why I do all the writing and the speaking, because, you know, I believe in our system. I believe that people should be self-sufficient. People should be not afraid to train hard and train heavy, but just do it smarter. And I think that goes against everything that our system's telling us right now. But, um, people are doing extremely well with it. And, I think there's a lot of emerging practitioners, even like yourself out there, that know that there's something more beyond what we're currently offering in our medical system, our fitness systems, really everything with a you know, holistic-based movement. And you got me thinking back to something you said before, like the, the blending of these two worlds uh, really took a lot of hard work. But at the same time, it shouldn't have, unfortunately. Like this should yeah. have been part of our education in physical therapy school, not just the most rudimentary exercises that you can imagine, like n- not showing any progression of anything. It's just, oh, here are your exercises. Like the, the, what you learn f- on from that standpoint is just absolutely minuscule. And it's really unfortunate because we are movement specialists. Like that is what we <laughs> are meant to accomplish. And when we can't, share that properly when we can't really give to people all the all right guys lost it there for a second uh john and i are back on uh we were talking about again a physical therapy uh, i'm sorry what i was saying was a physical therapist is really meant to be a movement specialist and when you can't combine that with strength when that's a very limiting thing people need to be strong to go about their everyday lives and that's why you see as people age, all of these other injuries, uh, yes, is some of it just the stagnant and lack of pumping, lack of mobility that we talked about. Yes, but there still is ultimately a, a strength component there too that you have to have requisite levels of strength. And this shouldn't be uh, an astronomically hard thing for people to achieve, but unfortunately, it's not often taught. It's just, hey, here are the basics. Just go with it. You'll be okay. Uh, but you seem to really have a, a an awesome blend of okay, no, we're going to push your asses here uh, rather than just giving you the the most sedentary things to get by on. (laughs) So you you said a term that really resonates with me. Uh, Physical therapists are the movement specialists. And I didn't say it. Uh, Shirley Sarman said it. And I, I quote it all the time. And I swear to God, every single time I go present, I get to this slide and I hit it. And I know about 10 people will get up and walk out. What? <laughs> so I go, physical therapists are the movement specialists. And that kind of like prefaces uh, the next session that we get into in one of my talks that talks about, you know, uh, the model where the intel- 
interdisciplinary model of human performance. And I'm a big believer that physical therapists, I think we do have the education and we do have the scope of practice kind of to be like the quarterback on the Super Bowl team. We can lead so many different allied healthcare professionals. We can lead personal training, strength and conditioning, athletic training, massage, uh, neuropath, really anything, acupuncture. We can lead that holistic team-based approach because we should have an appreciation per, for pretty much everything in uh, the medical industry. And I think coaches end up getting butt hurt from me saying that because they think I'm belittling strength and conditioning, which I am not by any means. But I think uh, physical therapists do need to start stepping up on one side of things, which is actually having an appreciation for you know foundational things like progressive overload, um, actually um, getting a training effect from strength and hypertrophy-based uh, set and rep schemes that don't involve a TheraBand. I think that is one <laughs> big missing component. Um, you know, we're really good at uh, connecting with our clients and patients. We're really good at um, making sure that we get some good diagnostics where we can actually do an ICD-9 code or whatever, which I don't use because I have a cash-based practice. But yeah, you don't even we know. Are, it's it's ICD-10 now. Come on. Oh, it's oh Jesus Christ. <laughs> Another year, it'll change. ICD, yeah, you can tell, yeah. We, you can tell that I run the, the performance model and not the uh, <laughs> traditionalist uh, insurance-based physical therapy model. But, you know, we do corrective exercise decent as well. But the big missing component is the harder component that nobody wants to do, which is teach and perfect foundational movement patterns. So what I mean by that is the squat, the hip hinge, single leg patterning, pushing and pulling at the upper extremities in some sort of locomotion like walking, running, or carrying, and actually loading those patterns. People are scared to death to load somebody with iron in the clinic. It's as simple as that. I don't know what it is, but we think that strength and conditioning is inherently dangerous to people. Squats. Oh, you can't squat anymore. You have knee pain. Oh, you can't deadlift anymore. You have back pain. What happened to perfecting these patterns so it can go from an injurious position to one of the biggest positions to prevent injuries for somebody's lifetime? And I think that is a missing component that needs to be added in if we're not only looking at getting somebody better. Getting somebody better is easy. You know, if you depend on getting somebody better to think that you're doing your job, that's not going to be successful for you. What you need to be looking at is re-injury rates and you have to be looking at open up somebody's movement library so they can go and have a lifestyle that they are non-restrictive with. And you know, we, we are so good at treating pain. We are so good at localizing uh, joint, joint approaches, but we need to be looking at a movement-based approach. We need to be looking at a movement diagnosis and we need to be challenging movements before we ever kick somebody out of our care. Because part of giving them the tools to work for a lifetime is challenging them with your expertise in the same room and really just figuring out what those common weak links are that we can fix up. And I like going back again, uh, bringing the iron into the gym there too, because most people, not most people, a lot of people still go to the gym. I think that's an underrated thing. Like people still think, oh, well, nobody goes to the No. Still a lot of people are out there going to the gym. And if you're discharging somebody, if you're sending them to be on their own, you should have educated them to 
have already gone through these movement patterns rather than just saying, okay, yeah, you can go ahead back to what you were doing. Like you're going to be fine. No, no, they're not. If they, if they've already gotten injured coming in, you need to teach them all of those six patterns that you talked about. Those are all absolutely critical to just everyday human movement. Yeah. <laughs> uh, another one of the quotes that I always uh, catch some flack for is like, don't ever be stuck in rehab purgatory and never, <laughs> never let your patients go throughout their lives trying to be physical in rehab purgatory. What that means is, Many people like they they don't they're not experts in movement. They don't know necessarily what's good and what's bad. You know, as a DPT or as a strength coach, you're supposed to be the expert that's leading them. So if you only lead them through corrective exercise and theraband internal and external rotations, guess what they're going to be doing when they go out uh you know to 24-hour fitness and start a training program? They're going to be on the elliptical or the recumbent bike, and then they're going to do some TheraBand work, and then they're going to lay in foam roll for 45 minutes. <laughs> and then that's going to lead that kind of practice, that fluffy fitness, I, I hate to even call it fitness, is what is going to lead them back into re-injury cycles and back into your care. And that should never be the goal. So, John, I want to I want to switch gears and even get into know uh, maybe, maybe you on a little more uh, of a personal basis here. And one of the questions I like to ask people sometimes is who would be in your personal mastermind? Like maybe top five people, uh, dead or alive. <laughs> oh man, that's a tough one. You know, I do have, uh, I do have, it's, it's not a mastermind, but it's uh, a bunch of coaches that I do converse with on a daily basis. And you know, those guys, we all kind of have our little niches, but my, my current mastermind, so to say, uh, consists of a legendary strength coach, Charles Staley. You know, he's been coaching people for almost 40 years and doing that at a high class level. And he's a, he's a world champion in powerlifting at age 56. So yeah, he, he brings some stuff to sure. the table. Yeah, he, he brings some stuff to the table in terms of just wisdom. Uh, another guy that I talk to all the time and I continuously learn from, uh, Dr. Joel Seedman, who is a strength coach world-class thinker, PhD-level education, doing amazing things in, in the field of neurology, but also training NFL guys, which is really, really cool. So you can combine like that dorkiness with uh, real gym-tested results. You know, that's somebody that I want to talk to on a daily basis, and that's, that's why we have such a good relationship. Uh, another guy that I continuously learn from is uh, Andrew Reed, who is a really great kettlebell specialist, movement specialist. He's out in Melbourne, Australia, and he is one of the best motivational guys that I know. So for our group, he really brings forth like the hardcore mentality of thinking. You know, he uh, he's gone through some unbelievable things like seal fit and all of these just mentally arduous things that he brings just um he just like forges the mental game and then he also knows movement as well um you know to to fill this out we got nutrition specialist dr brad dieter amazing guy he's my go-to resource got a phd behind his name so the stuff that he does is not only backed by science, but his real world, world results in the gym and in the lab. And then uh, Eric Bach on the side of fitness. Eric is a uh, you know, up and comer in the industry, a real coach, and somebody who truly knows strength and conditioning. So you can kind of see where we uh, we all kind of synergize our skills together. And we have some really interesting conversations. And I totally snubbed one other guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Tony Gentlecore is another guy. You know, he was uh, one of the co-founders of Cressy Sports Performance, arguably one of the best strength and conditioning-based facilities in the entire world. And what he does on a content side of things and on a coaching side of things is just world-class too. But I- I'm not a huge one for ever, like, this sounds terrible, but when I go to look at education or I, I go seek information, I'm not one that's going to sit in the research for 10 days and try to get like one definitive study that says everything. I'm going to try to have guys that I know and trust with my fitness, my my clients' fitness and their lifestyle choices. And I'm going to defer to them because I think, you know, your network is your net worth at the end of the day, especially because we can't be great at every single thing. I'm already doing the uphill battle trying to do, uh, you know, pain-free training, which involves rehab and strength and conditioning. So, you know, things along the lines of nutrition and motivation and, you know, high-performance fitness, that kind of stuff, you always have to have people in your stable and in your network that you know and trust. And if they they say it is one way, like, you should buy into that. And I I love the, the thing you said there. You're not diving in there just for one specific study pouring like over hours and hours of stuff because (laughs) here's the other part of it too. That research, how old is that? Five, 10 years at that point, even if you're finding that study. So go to people who are just in, just doing it every single day. They're finding, they've already tried those things 10 years ago, 20 years ago, however long they've been in the game. So they've already seen what works, what doesn't, and they're still going to be tweaking it. And that's the person you want to be talking to who's always just constantly trying to be the best in whatever it is that they're doing. And that sounds exactly what this group has uh, put together here. I think so. And I think there's um, there's people that have just like a blatant disregard for uh, exercise science and research, which is never a good thing. But, you know, the top experts in the field that are actually training and treating clients, which is really important for me, you know, practice what you preach. Um, they, they are five to 10 years ahead with their methodologies. And even the guys that are in research, uh, like Dr. Brad Dieter, like he's studying stuff now that he thought of like six years ago. So it just, uh, it's, it's all uh, taken with a grain of salt when you get into the research. I mean, when we come to publish, I mean, we publish a ton of articles too. And every once in a while I'll get a, an article in young kid, uh, smart guys, you know, kids are so smart these days, like the DPT students and the young practitioners and the, you know, the strength coaches with master's degrees. Everyone is so book smart, but you can tell like almost instantaneously when you get an article through, it has all these research studies and you're like, hmm, (laughs) I don't think this has ever been tested in the gym before because they're all just kind of thrown together here and you could really prove anything that you want to through research. But the key is uh, knowing what exists and then getting some good ideas, testing those ideas, getting real world results, not for one client or one patient, but you know, for 10 years in a row, getting some good results and then talking about it. But um, it, it's funny. Anyone could go to PubMed and write a, you know, kind of a bland article with some research studies in it. I want to hear from the guys that know the field like the back of their hand when you ask them something they don't even have to think about the answer to things because they know what they've had success with for as long as they can remember so one of the things uh i think you were saying andrew reed he's kind of like uh the great with the mental game right yeah so what are maybe some of the things that you've picked up from him uh 
really with that mental game as far as training goes, as far as recovery goes for both yourself and uh, everybody that you work with? I've taken more uh, from Andrew's stuff in the last two years, probably than anybody's. Um, and because my mission is pain-free training, I look at pain as something that can be mentally beaten. I think if you are experiencing pain, obviously there's a time and a place to go down the rabbit hole of dysfunctional movement patterning, intelligent movement modifications. But once you do that, then it's up to you to kind of buck up and get through, tap into that mind-muscle connection and will yourself through to better movement, better results. And it's something that you can take the parking brake off your mental acuity and have success again. And when we're talking about pain, uh, there's such an emotional connection to pain. There is um, you know, a societal connection to pain. It is one of the most challenging things that we deal with. But to overlook uh, the mental side of it, it's just crazy because many times we're just trying to repattern the neuromuscular system, the central nervous system. We're just laying down new tracks so we can move and feel better for the long term. And I think uh, buying into that system and having some mental resilience, uh, <laughs> I would argue maybe that's the number one factor in determining if you're going to be successful with something for life. No, I, I couldn't agree more as far as the number one factor. Uh, I, I asked this, this was a couple months ago, I had somebody on the show uh, who again was more involved with the, the strength game and stuff too. And I'm curious to see what your answer would be to it. If you just solely focused, and I'm talking like very intense, like mental practice, do you think you can get stronger uh, or move better just through doing that without actually practicing the movements? <laughs> um, I mean, it's possible. Anything's possible. Th there'll be studies that show that that's possible. But I think that the mental game, you have to have some physical practice. You have to have, do block-based practice to increase a skill level. You know, that's all that movement is. It's acquiring a skill. And even loading, it's acquiring a skill to uh, be resilient against that load. But once you do it, um, once you actually try to develop that skill, I think that block-based mental practice can absolutely enhance what you're doing. And we all do this. We don't realize that we're doing this, but we do. Um, for instance, like every, every Saturday is the end of my training week. And every Friday night, like I'm thinking about Saturday morning's training. So that is block-based mental practice for my training. I know what's up. You know, I, I know the loads for the day. You know, I have this all scheduled out. And everyone does this. Everyone thinks about their workouts. Everyone thinks about their training. They think about their goals. But if you can kind of systemize it and, hey, man, even put it into um, when you're doing your deep diaphragmatic breathing after your low intensity steady state cardio for your recovery day, you know, think a little bit about your physical practice, whatever you're working on. Try to feel and know what the result you're looking for is going to look and feel like. Um, I think it's a powerful thing, but everyone's doing it. We just have to systemize it better. Do you have, or I don't know, maybe this is something that you're working on, like uh, a practical way maybe to go about that system systematization of the mental game? 
Uh, well, I think it, it, it's hard because people uh, were so driven into instantaneous feedback on our phones, on Facebook, on the computers. It's hard to kind of just bring your mind down and focus on one thing. Um, that's the reason why, you know, I tend to do it if I'm doing any like soft tissue work or if I'm doing deep breathing or even if I'm freaking stretching. Like I always try to double up on that kind of stuff because I think the power of actually physically doing something while you're mentally training yourself, um, I think the carryover is going to be a little bit more powerful. But it, it's a hard pill to swallow for people to be like, all right, every 20 minutes, you know, you're going to sit down, be silent for five minutes and think about your bench press. Like that's not going to happen. But um, trying to work in daily habits that you're already doing and just trying to fine tune those things uh, with the way that you are having that mind muscle or that mind body connection. And that's a beautiful way to think about it too. I, I couldn't agree more on that is, hey, when you're in your just restorative movement practices, think about your movement. It's it's a very simple, <laughs> yeah, simple way to simple, go about it? it right there. You, you don't have to be thinking, as you said, like Facebook or you don't need to be thinking about, uh, or I mean, you could do it as far as like, okay, planning ahead for the next day. Like, okay, I want to do this, this, and this. But part of what you're thinking about for that next day is still going to be your training, whatever it is. Uh, so you can still make that part of it. Uh, no. And that's where everything's going to get, still get stored in the emotions and the muscles or the muscle still is going to be storing those emotions, those feelings. So if you're going about it in a positive manner while you're doing the stretches, uh, I think it's going to have a lot of carryover for sure. You know, another area I should mention where I do use some like mental block based practice is before training every day. Um, I'll, I'll get to the gym and I will not like drink my, my spike before working out until I get to the gym. I get in there, I look at it and I have everything planned. And then, you know, I take about five minutes to kind of chill out, sip on a, sip on a drink. And then when I'm ready, I go and jump in. Um, it's something that only takes a couple minutes, but instead of uh, just jumping into something that you're not necessarily mentally ready for, you can move forward with uh, you know a focused intensity and go and execute on your goals if you have them laid out mentally beforehand. I mean, this is little stuff, but one to two minutes makes a huge difference for me now because uh, my wife and I, we train every morning at around 9 or 10 a.m. At that point, we have hours and hours in from the day. Uh, we have our, our 15 month son at home with us. So we have a lot going on. So it's hard sometimes to check out from your daily life stresses and your work and your family involvement and all of that to come into the gym and just focus solely on your execution of your program that you have laid out for you. But I think if you can do that, you can have whatever strategy it is to have that transition period. For me, it's like sipping on a drink for you know three to five minutes and just getting mentally ready to go because I know I have you know 90 minutes to you know just work as hard as I possibly can, stay focused and challenge myself, and I can't be thinking about other stuff during that. Um, I'm a big believer that we have to have focused intensity for every movement that you're doing, whether you're doing a foam rolling technique or you're doing a, a max effort box squat. 
it's the same focus intent and you know a strategy that we we try to forge that mental acuity with is using ramp up sets so it's a little bit more novel to the FHT program but it's essentially ramping up your big lifts with multiple practice sets building uh, volume pain free volume with uh, multiple sets at a time before you ever get to your big uh, your big working set movements so it's something that gives you, you know, two, three, four times as much block practice on your setups, on feeling out your movement, on working on movement-based velocity than it would be if you did like one half-assed, uh, you know, practice set of just the bar on the bench press or something. You did it for 15 reps and then hopped into, you know, max effort lift. So it's something that I think honing your movement patterns and having an appreciation for the intensity that you put into your setups and feeling what you need to feel on each movement. It's something that, again, we'd like to practice over and over again with that ramp up scheme. And that's a beautiful thing right there because every rep still counts, whether it's heavy or light, whether it's technically a warm-up, whether it's a working set, whatever you want to call it, every rep is being ingrained into your body. And you said, if it's not pain-free, well, you have to do something about that. But every single one still counts. And yes, you're getting multiple reps. You're starting to get more. You're building that. And you're either building it correctly or incorrectly, really. Right. Yeah. Every time you do something, it's a stimulus for the better or for the worse. So you want to make uh, your movement patterns as systemized as possible. You want to make everything look exactly the same. Make the light weights feel heavy. Make the heavy weights feel light because it's the movement pattern that you're going to really be focusing on. Um, you know, that takes a long time for people to get to that point. You know, this isn't for a beginner lifter that's going to come in and like really just like be like fully executing upon these these ramp ups and then get in and just make everything look simple. But I think for the intermediate to advanced lifter, that's the difference between those two levels is being able to really tap into something internally in your mental muscle and be able to execute no matter what the challenge is on the bar or on the plates. So John, a couple last questions for you. One that I'm interested for you is what is something that you see that is just always made too complicated that should just really be simplified? The warm-up process. <laughs> Plain and simple, the warm-up process. We went from the days where we wouldn't warm up at all, you know, 30 years ago in, you know, 1980s-style football weight room to <laughs> maybe five or 10 years ago where our warm-ups uh, took more time than the actual training itself. And, uh, you know, it's a pendulum swing in the fitness industry, but I truly think that the warm-up needs to be expedited, it has to cut the fluff, and it has to prepare you not only for optimal performance, but preventing injuries as well. You know, it's something that we've systemized. Uh, the last two years, we've used this system, the, the six-phase dynamic warm-up sequence. Uh, we present on that. I have a lot of content on that as well, that I think it, it covers all your bases, but you can literally get out of a dynamic warm-up between six and seven minutes. So that's really expediting the process. But again, it takes uh, some mental fortitude to figure out what the big marquee ticket items are that you need to involve in that warm-up because we're not going to be doing uh, 25 different movements. We're going to be doing six movements. What are the biggest six movements that can yield pain-free results and actually enhance your performance? 
So that's a, that's a hard question for many people to answer. And I think that's the reason why these warm-ups have been getting so fluffy because you know, people outthink themselves. They think that they need to foam roll for 25 minutes and then they need to activate every muscle in their body. And then they have to get a sweat going. And then they have to do this and that and that. And by the time you actually get to train, uh, your training session is done because you're out of time. So I think uh, majoring in the majors instead of the minors, like the warm-up, uh, that's one of the biggest things that is holding back a lot of people in general fitness, but even in high performance. And I think part of it too is if it takes you 40 minutes to warm up, you probably have to address some other things before you get into <laughs> yeah. that high level of a training anyway. No, for sure. Um, you look at the range between being physically prepared to do something and having to warm up to be physically prepared to do something. So you have that optimal range and where you kind of sit at on a daily basis. If you can reduce that range, that means that you are going to be more physically resilient no matter what the activity is, no matter what time of day. And that's really the true, uh, the tried and true measure of success is no, no matter what you're doing, you're going to be resilient with your movement. You're going to be strong. You're going to have great capacities and you're not going to get hurt. That's what it's all about. Moving right, not getting hurt, enjoying what you're doing. That's that's a great way to go about it. John, again, one of the last things I always ask somebody who comes on the show is, who would you want to hear on this podcast? And what would you want to hear them talk about? Or what is a specific question that you would want to ask them? Uh, that's a, <laughs> uh, this is a tough one. Um, I would like, to, I was just at a conference. I was at the, the Swiss Symposium up, up in Toronto two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Some of the best minds in the industry, all there, all talking about training and you know, I was really, uh, I was really impressed with a number of people that I met for the first time. But I think, um, you know, along the lines of kind of rehab without being a rehab practitioner, I think somebody like Chris Duffin would be amazing for this podcast because, you know, he's strong as hell. He just uh, lifted a thousand and one pounds for almost three reps on the deadlift a couple weeks ago. But he's also, <laughs> you know, he's a movement scientist. He appreciates good movement. Um, he knows what it is to perform at a high class level, but he also knows the importance of staying resilient against injuries. And, uh, we had some amazing conversations in Toronto and, uh, I think he'd be a great fit and shit, man, I would ask him about the mental game of lifting a thousand pounds for almost three reps on the deadlift, because at that point you're as strong as you're going to be. And it's about the the CNS prep involved. It's about your mental muscle of doing something that's never been done before. That That's pretty powerful. I, I mean, I'm just trying to wrap my head around even asking somebody about something like that. No, because that really is just such an uh, – yes, of course, physically. But like you said, mentally to, to think about something like that, uh, that weight is going to crush, I mean, all but probably what? 10 people in the entire world, right? Right, right. That's that's incredible. It was an amazing uh, conversation we had uh, at dinner. You know, I was sitting between Chris and a dude named Donnie Thompson, a mm-hmm. good friend of mine, who was the first human being alive that lifted 3,000 total pounds in powerlifting competition. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about literally the strongest human beings on the face of the earth. And when you talk about programming, you know, it seems pretty simple. You know, we're doing the same types of programming. But 
what it takes is uh, you know the uh, mental the mental aptitude that you bring to your training that focus that we were talking about you know doing something that's never been done before that's that's pretty tough mentally to deal with <laughs> I mean you look at so not not one human being in the history of the world has ever done this and then being able to achieve something like that is just unbelievable I could not agree more uh, John in closing where can everybody find more about you uh, talking about FHT or here uh, everything all that you're working on where's the best place for them to go check out all of your work you can hit us up on uh, on all social media it's gonna be dr. John Russin R-U-S-I-N um, our website dr. John com is the best place to uh, to contact us with forms and that kind of stuff we also have over there our 12-week functional hypertrophy training program and we did set up a coupon code for everybody listening into this podcast so if you use Nick that will get you an additional $10 off this program. So we'd love to have everybody listening to this podcast on that because you guys fit uh, what we're looking for to work with. So I love it. guys. Yeah, take, take advantage of that because as you can hear, this isn't just an everyday training program that's like, oh, okay, I'm going to follow this for a month or two and then just move on to something else. No, this is integrating a whole lot of things. So I really encourage people to, Take advantage of that, especially when you're stuck, when you're looking, when, when you are training maybe in pain right now and talking about that pain-free training, this is going to be an awesome way to go about it too. Yeah, agreed. Appreciate it. Well, excellent. John, thank you again so much uh, for your time. Thank you for coming on the show. Uh, I hope everybody makes sure go check out drjohnrussin.com, all of this work. It's, it certainly is going to uh, further, further your health, further your movement, uh, certainly for the better. Uh, Thanks for having me on, Nick. I appreciate it. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to head over to BarenakedHealthPodcast.com to check out the show notes for today's episode. While you're there, go to my calendar and schedule a 15-minute call so we can discuss what is your biggest struggle when it comes to maintaining your health. Remember that I'm a holistic lifestyle coach and the show is sponsored by you guys. Each of you that I work with helps me to be able to put out podcasts like this for free. So thanks again for your love and support. Finally, if the show has helped you out in any way, please head over to iTunes to give the Bare Naked Health podcast a positive comment and five-star rating. This really goes a long way in getting the word out with how simple health can be and helping to share the podcast with others. So thank you.